Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for what you're doing in hearts and lives. Thank you for allowing Brother Sam to come our way and be such a blessing to us last week and to have a part in the laying on of hands and ordaining men for the ministry. We thank you for the privileges that you have afforded our church. Lord, it has cost us much as we have sent families to the Bronx and now we're sending Andrew to uh, community in Riverhead. And Lord, uh, we're uh, extending ourselves in so many ways. But Lord, we thank you that you have given us these things. We thank you for supplying our needs and we thank you for working in our lives and opportunities to present the gospel and see the work of, of the ministry go forward. We ask you to we just want to thank you, Lord, once again. In your name we pray. Amen. My wife is not here tonight, so go ye kids are going to have to stay. And I'll try not to be too terribly boring tonight, all right? And if you look at me and pay attention and listen real close, I promise you I'll preach short. All right? So Psalm 32, if you would. Psalm 32 and... Uh, just a quick note as we get started tonight, we've been just kind of meandering through the Psalms, not uh, in any specific order uh, or uh, connection here, but uh, just want to take a little bit of time to go through this simple Psalm, only 11 verses, and I, I do want you to look at the titles over the Psalms. Uh, if you have a Bible like I do, there's some very small print between Psalm 32 and, and the word blessed, which is the first word of the psalm. And often, as in the case of Psalm 32, there's kind of a, uh, a summary here, but then you'll see it says a psalm of David and Maschil, M-A-S-C-H-I-L. Now, uh I am not, uh, I don't claim to be a Hebrew scholar or anything, but I just looked up the word, and it simply means a psalm of contemplation, a song to think about. David says, I want you to meditate on these things. There are many different kinds of psalms or songs in the book of Psalms, and uh uh, just like we have different kinds of music that we listen to. We have some hymns uh, that are just, uh, uh, you know, sound the battle cry. I mean, they just move and they, they make you think about things and serving the Lord and, and other songs that, that uh, uh, one of my favorites is All for Jesus. That, that's one of those ones that just makes you think about it, things. Take my life and let it be. Uh, those are songs of meditation, songs of contemplation. And we have to be careful. Um, if you walk up 31st Avenue there to Lutheran Church, they have a sign that says contemplative worship. Uh, we don't do that here. Uh, because what you need to think about... What you need to, uh, the Buddhists are very famous for the meditation, you know, hum and all that kind of thing. Uh, we don't do that either. And here's the reason. You see, what you need to learn about God doesn't come from inside of you. 
It comes from this book. We, we do not believe in passive meditation or contemplation. We believe in active meditation. Uh, that means that we have an object that we are thinking about. We have some ideas that we are running over in our mind that do not come from inside of us or are not absorbed from the cosmic psyche. Of, oh, boy. I mean, you can just... There, there are some real wild people out there. And, uh, and, and of course, I, I warn all of our college students as they go to college, uh, even Bible college, you can, there is knowledge out there that will destroy you. You can think too much. I know you've been trying to tell your mom that for years, that uh, school is too hard, I'm thinking too much, it's going to break my brain. No, uh, that kind of uh, contemplation on algebra will not hurt you. It will only help, all right? And, and, uh, but there, there is knowledge out there that can hurt you. There are things out there that are purely and completely demonic. You don't need to learn about the devil. You need to learn about Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Really, if you had to take out a sheet of paper and just write down everything you personally know about Jesus Christ, how many of you would be able to write for an entire minute? Well, that's a long time when you've got a pencil in hand, unless you spell very slowly. Uh, if you're writing out, I mean, what would you... Oh, Jesus is good. Jesus is God. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus uh, uh, is the healer. He's the miracle worker. But I'll, I'll tell you what, about 30, 40 seconds, you'd start running out of things to write. And yet, He is supposed to be our Savior. He is the one we worship. We, we should know Him better than we do. You read First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, every good thing in your life, every part of your relationship with God is connected to the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And so I would challenge you to get in your Bible and to think about things and let's With that in mind, let's open the words of this psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. Now, you see that little word, Selah, there? That means stop and think about it. It means take a moment here. Take a break. How many of you picked up the contrast between verses 1 and 2 and verses 3 and 4? You see... Hebrew poetry, this is what this is, a song, a poem. Uh, Originally it was set to music. We do not have the music. It's gone. But David says, I want you to contemplate this. I want you to see the contrast. And in Hebrew poetry, 
They do not rhyme words. In English poetry, we have uh, uh, syllables and words that we rhyme. Hebrew poetry is ideals that are either connected one to the other, different ways of saying the same thing. That's why it often seems in the Psalms and in Proverbs that the the writer is saying the same thing twice. Just because he is, that's all. Nothing more complicated, but that's part of poetry. Um, Here we have a contrast. In fact, we're going to find out that there are two contrast here, two central ideas, and each idea here, each set of contrast has a complete resolution or a solution to the contrast. So, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. How many of you have ever been tricked by somebody? I mean, every day. I, I just wrote a letter to my email company. They, signed, they gave me this thing and said, uh, this is going to protect you. So I signed up for it, and I had 40 spams in my email today. I just signed in yesterday. So I wrote them a letter and said, hey, what are you doing to me? This is not the way this is supposed. You told me this was going to get rid of the spams, and now there's 40 in my email box. I, I don't like that. That's what it means, in whose spirit there is no guile. How many of you went to church year after year and listened to the priest or the preacher, whatever the guru was called there, tell you different things and you believed them only to find out that they weren't telling you the truth? I'll tell you what, that's a terrifying thought. And and as a pastor, uh, I'll watch people, they'll come to our church and they begin to get... Curious, and we begin to talk about the Bible, and, and then comes the step where they realize that the things they were taught in religion isn't in the Bible. Then they get mad, usually. Well, how would they do this? Why were they lying to me? Well, that is the seed of false religion. That is who the devil is. He is a liar from the beginning, Jesus said. He's the father of it. Here it says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. How would you like to have a clean slate before God? Whose sin is covered. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Do you you understand what that word iniquity means? The word iniquity is really defining the state of being a sinner. Uh, It is the guilt part of sin. And it says when the Lord doesn't impute iniquity, He is stating that our record is clean and clear. By the way, how many sins do you need to keep you out of heaven? Just one. How many of us qualify? How many of us are overly qualified in that area? Every one of us. But here it says, the transgression is forgiven. The Lord imputeth not iniquity. The sin is covered. And it says, in whose spirit there is no guile. You can't be tricked. 
You know why a true Bible-believing Christian cannot be tricked? Cannot be caught in guile or error? Because this is my protection. All I have to do is get out my Bible and match up what the Bible says with what whoever the person in question is, and either they're going to agree with the Bible or disagree with the Bible. If they agree with the Bible, okay, I agree with you. If they disagree, hey, I'm headed the other way. Because this is the Word of God. And that is the state of a person who is blessed. Amen? The word blessing means happy, full of joy. And we're going to find out in verse 11 that it's going to come full circle and it begins with a blessing and ends with a blessing, this contemplation. But then we get to verse 3 and it says, when I kept silence. Okay, here's the contrast. My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. If you've ever dealt with unforgiven sin in your life, sin you haven't confessed with God. I, I, I don't know how many people have said over the years, Pastor, I, I want to come to church. I want to be a part of church. But you know, I've got some things I've got to straighten out first. Can I tell you, it doesn't work that way. This is where you come to get it straightened out, my friend. This is the hospital to cure the disease of sin. Only Jesus can forgive sins, but we talk about him every service here. We use his words every service. This is where the help is. And and David is saying, when I kept silence. You know, that story of David with Bathsheba and Uriah and all, that didn't happen in a week. That was over months. And David was saying, when I kept silence, you know, you can keep silent with your mouth, but your inside doesn't keep silent. Every time you look in the mirror, you're reminded of those things that you have done that you haven't dealt with. He says, uh, my roaring all the day long. You know, they, they talk about a lion when it is wounded. It, it will just simply start roaring uncontrollably. And you can hear a lion's roar almost two miles away. How would you like to be up close to that thing? Uh, that would be terrifying, would it not? And yet, the unrest in our spirit. And look at the next day. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. Why was God hand heavy upon him? It says, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. You know, just because you have sin doesn't mean you're going to die, you're going to stop living, but you're going to lose your joy. You're going to lose every good thing of life. The devil never offers anything but suffering. Oh, there might be a few minutes of pleasure attached to it, but it's not going to be long before that second part kicks in. You see, this is the difference between the blessed man whose sin is forgiven, and the cursed man who is holding on to a sin. David says, I want you to think about that. But then look at verse 5. We have the resolution in verses 5 through 7. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I, I still don't get it. We think we can hide our sin from God. How silly. 
It reminds me of the little child that has broken something in the house. Maybe one of mom's little keepsakes and knocked off the shelf and, and the broken pieces are in his hand. I don't know where it is. How silly. What's that in your hand? Oh, this. Uh, uh, I found this on the floor or in our home. If it's Jason, Joey did it. Or if it's Jason and Joey, Philip did it. I mean, uh, that, that is just the way it works, is it not? You blame it on somebody else. But as a parent, you know what happened. And God always knows what happened. David said here, I acknowledge my sin unto thee and my iniquity have I not had hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Now look at this next one. And thou forgavest me the iniquity of my sin. Do you see the contrast here? He says, Blessed is the man whose record is clean, who is living with God, who has the blessings of God in his life. How miserable the man that's holding on to sin. And so I acknowledged my sin unto God, and he forgave my sin. Stop and think about that. Verse 6, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto thee. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. There's a beautiful, beautiful hymn talking about being crowned with victory and singing songs of deliverance. And uh, yet, it says for this. What, what is he talking about? He says, I'm tired of living a miserable life when all I have to do is bring my sin to God and find His forgiveness. It says, I'm going to seek Him while He may be found. You know, that was Samson's problem, wasn't it? He didn't seek the Lord when he could be found. Samson could have turned from his own way and realized that consorting with Delilah was not part of God's plan for his life. But he didn't. And even after the warnings of her doing everything that she could to uh, 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 everything he said. He lied to her about what would take away his strength. And it says he shook himself and the hairs of his head fell off of him. And he said, I will go out as before. And he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. You know what? He didn't seek the Lord while he could be found. By the way, when can the Lord be found? Right now. You have no guarantee of 60 seconds from now. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. But you seek the Lord now. You seek the Lord and acknowledge your sin and confess your sin to Him. You will find that forgiveness and you're going back to be that blessed man with the Lord's protection all around you. You see... That's the first one. Now, let's look at the second one. He, he's going to take this actually a step farther. We're going to start in verse 8. 
I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Now, here comes the contrast. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Now, how many of you have ever ridden a horse? How many of you have ever had a horse try to knock you off by going under a tree? Rub your leg up against a fence? Uh, horses are downright mean critters. I like horsepower, but I just am not sold on this horse thing yet. Uh, and, and I know Roy Rogers and Trigger had something special, but uh, that, that's great for the movies. You can enjoy that if you want. But I don't want to spend that much time with a horse. I'm sorry. Uh, I've got other things to do. But the thing that I've never enjoyed about the horse is you put that bridle on there. You put that steel bit in their mouth. How many of you have heard the teeth chomping down on that bit? You think that feels good? No, that's pain. That's what makes the horse do what you want it to do. And uh, I, the last time I went riding, many years ago, uh, I had to pull that bit every second I was on that horse because he knew I was a little nervous and uh, he's going to take advantage of everything. And so I just started yanking on that bit and keeping it nice and tight. And the horse decided, uh, it's just not worth the pain. I'll do what he says. I don't like that. I don't like hurting the animal. And God's saying here, this is God speaking. He said, don't be like a horse. Don't be like a mule. Don't make God pull the bit every moment of every day. God says, I want to instruct you. He says, I will instruct thee and teach thee. In the way which thou shalt, in the way which thou shalt go, God says, "Listen, I'll give you my word. I'll give you instruction. That's what the Bible is about. As a father, uh, one of the things I work with with my children, it's called oral instruction. We worked on the kitchen table last night." And I gave Jason a list of tools that I wanted him to get. And I gave Joey a list of tools I wanted him to get. And they came back and said, Dad, I don't think I got that all. And so, hey, one more time. Why? Because I want them to learn how to listen and follow instructions. You know what? That's real important when you're an adult now, isn't it? Hello? Adults, I mean, are you going to keep your job very long if the boss says, I want this done? I don't have to worry about that. I'm the boss. Uh, let me tell you, if you're the boss, you've got to worry about the city of New York, and you've got to worry about all the IRS, and you've got to worry about a lot of things. That the, uh, Just be thankful you're an employee. Amen? Uh, no. We've got to, God says, will you listen to me? 
I've heard people give testimonies. Well, the Lord dragged me kicking and screaming. Doesn't that sound more like the mule in the story here? Uh, You know what? I'm not signing up for that position. Because this is going back and it's contrasting with the man that has unforgiven sin, who is not in obedience to God, does not have God's blessing on his life, is not willingly obeying. God doesn't want us to be senseless like a horse or a mule. He wants us to listen, to take instruction and learn how to obey God. Now look what it says here in verse 10. We have the resolution now. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Does that need expounding, explaining? I'll tell you, if you choose to rebel against God, God is not going to suffer. You are. That's one of the hardest things about being a preacher. Countless people over the years. Well, what does the Bible say, Pastor? I just want to know. And I tell them what the Bible says. Well, I'm not going to do that. I say, I can't make you do it. I wouldn't make you do it. Because you're not a horse and I'm not riding. God says, I will guide thee with mine eye. How many of you know what that means? How many of you had a parent that could just look at you and you knew what to do? Right? God says, I want to give you that gentle guidance. I don't want to have to explain everything. How many of you know what it is to try to tell a joke that you think is just really funny and nobody gets it? And then you have to explain it. And then you have to explain the explanation. And by the time you're done, you say, this is, if it wasn't worth the effort. Is that what you want the God of heaven to say about you? He says, I don't want to guide you with a bit and a bridle. He said, I want to guide you with my eye. I I just want to give you that look and you know to sit up and, and to pay attention and to look the way you're supposed to in church. I don't want to have to explain it to you because it's already explained in my word. Now let's look at the last half of verse 10. But he, sorry, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Now, how many of you want to sign up for being compassed about with mercy? I'll tell you what, that's a good place to be. Because we all fail. David's not talking about living a sinless life here. He's talking about keeping your accounts short with God. Staying in fellowship with God. Walking in step with God. And when we get out of step, We go back to God and we confess our sins and acknowledge our iniquity and we have the promise of His forgiveness because when Jesus died on the cross, it is finished means He paid the price for all sin forever. He wants me to walk with Him. Then we have the final resolution here. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. You know, we live in a sad and dark world, do we not? There is so much to be upset about. What is going on in our world? But here's what it says. Be glad in the Lord. You know what? There is one place I can always go for joy. Jesus. Be glad in the Lord. It tells me that I can rejoice. Ye righteous. By the way, how do you get righteous? You have to, in essence, borrow that from God. He gives it to us when we get saved. And then He washes us up and cleanses us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sins, 1 John chapter 1. Amen? Righteousness is something you can only get from God. It says, and shout for joy, ye that are upright in heart. No matter what they pull off next in Washington, D.C., no matter what they legalize in Albany, no matter what they do at the Supreme Court, I can be glad in the Lord. Because that's where the solution to my biggest problem is. Do you realize your biggest problem is not the Republicans? Amen? Uh, Your biggest problem is not the Democrats. Your biggest problem is not CNN or whatever is out there. Your biggest problem is your own personal sin. And there's only one place in the universe you can get rid of it. And I'm so glad that you don't have to tell me your sins. I'm so glad you can go directly to God and talk to Him. Amen? I am thankful tonight as we contemplate, as we think about what this psalm is. This is a psalm celebrating God's mercy and His grace in forgiveness of our sins. I can stand before you and tell you in the sight of God, I am perfectly righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's true of every believer in Jesus Christ. Do we sin? Oh, yes, we do. You want to hold on to it? You're going to be miserable. You want God's protection? You confess it today. You get rid of that sin right now. And then the waters and the floods aren't going to come nigh you. He's going to pass you with, compass you with songs of deliverance. Someone wrote a treatise on the Civil War. And they said, I can tell you why the South lost the Civil War. They didn't have any good songs. The North had a lot of great songs. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. 
I'll tell you what, that song still stirs my heart. It's not theologically correct, but uh, uh, there, there's just something about that song that uh, really makes you uh, uh, be thankful to God for who He is and that His truth does always overcome. Amen? Songs of deliverance. The joy in our heart. The, in Psalm 23, David said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He's saying it a little different here, but compassed about with songs of deliverance. In the end, in last verse, he says uh, that we're to rejoice in the Lord because verse 10, mercy shall compass him about. I tell you, there, there is nothing that compares with having your heart right with God. Can we say amen to that? And the psalmist is thinking about that. And he is contemplating that. And he wants you and I to read this song. And to realize the time to get right with God is now. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for something to think about and meditate on that does not come from our own mind and our own hearts. Lord, we ask that you would allow these words to run over and over in our hearts and souls through this coming week. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Lord, that we would be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Lord, we cannot be upright in heart. We cannot be righteous. We cannot rejoice in the Lord except you do that work in our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts. Before we finish that prayer, take just a moment tonight, not with the piano playing, but... If you need to slip out of your seat, take advantage of an old-fashioned church altar, a place to kneel and get right with God, a place to talk to God and contemplate what He has done for us. Maybe you just need to come forward and thank God for His great mercy and His great forgiveness. In the next few moments, let's just pray where we are or at the altar, and then we'll get into our regular prayer time.